0: Second Samuel chapter 16. We'll try to get two chapters tonight, so we've got to get right to it. Allies and enemies, that's what uh, stands out this evening to me. We look at verse 1. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys And on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. Uh, David's on the run, of course. His son Absalom is trying to take the throne, and David's head at the same time, if he can do it. But now we meet another character, and there's a lot of intrigue and uh, espionage. Uh, Just uh, very exciting two chapters. This man, Ziba is uh, an opportunist. He is selfish and uh, very generous with giving away someone else's property to gain favor, which he is doing here. This is These things belong to Mephibosheth, whom he is to serve. Proverbs 27, 6. We've been reading this, I think, the last three sessions, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And here is Ziba, Acting as though, you know, David, uh, I just want to look out for you. Zeba. as we will learn more about him as we go through Samuel. But in, just in case David wins this thing, he's positioning himself to come out on top. And we won't get to the punchlines really about him until uh, maybe 18 when David comes back. But uh, what I really dislike about this guy is he gets away with it. Well, he get, comes out better than he... And he was going into it, uh, David is, is going to uh, listen to what this man has to say. Incidentally, he did not load these donkeys with all these goods. He had 15 serv- uh, 20 servants and 15 sons. Uh, he was well-to-do. He was the servant of King Saul. And uh, David assigned him to be the servant of Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, who was handicapped. Uh, We'll continue, verse 2. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Well, he knows politics. I mean, he was Saul's servant. He knows what to say. This made a big splash. David needed these things. They were desperate for stuff like this, the supplies. And, and now he's getting them. Uh, verse 3, And then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Zebah said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom to my father, uh, of my father to me. That's a big, fat lie. How's that going to happen? Absalom is coming in. Absalom's from Judah. uh, What is he talking about? Uh, Again, the world is filled with opportunists, and we get to see this guy here. Um, He is a turncoat, and he makes it sound like Mephibosheth is the turncoat, whom he's supposed to serve. Mephibosheth, when David comes back, he doesn't clip his nails. He doesn't comb his hair. He leaves himself disheveled. He's saying, "I was, I was just, you know, broken hearted until you come back." He gave himself no attention because he he he, he was so uh, much wanting David to come back to the throne. We, again, we'll get to that in the latter chapters. Uh, ultimately, David doesn't do the right thing. At least I don't think so, and I think you'll you'll share that view when we get there. If anyone was being disloyal. It was Ziba, the servant of Saul, not Mephibosheth. Verse 4, so the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, that I might, may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Big fat liar. Uh, David is not at his best. He certainly is, in not the frame of, is not in the frame of mind to be making civil decisions like this, of this magnitude. I'm giving all the wealth of Mephibosheth to you based on your bad-mouthing him. Now, again, if David wins this thing, Mephibosheth is a traitor and would be certainly worthy of execution. I love David, but sometimes he really annoys me, uh, just like me with me. And you with you, right? We just some we just do some things that man. What was happening there? Uh, This slander of the handicapped grandson of Saul and David's hasty decree makes Mephibosheth one of the many victims of the Bible, who just justice doesn't go their way. It, It just they die victims of life, of others, and and things like that. And so, you know, we we learn early on in life, you know, if mom and dad are doing their job, they're going to tell their children, life's not fair. And if anybody, who would ever say it is, right? Uh, Proverbs 18, 17. Again, I think another proverb I've, I've read maybe two or three times in a row The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. David should have known better. He who suffered slander himself. Where is adherence to Deuteronomy 19? In civil matters too, there were supposed to be two or three witnesses. And there, there are none. Just David listens to what Ziba says and makes this decree. Okay, I'm giving your wealth. I'm transferring it over to you. Um, David's going to phase in and out of dumb and smart through this whole uh, ordeal because as we've been saying, he's not the man he was. The man who slew the giant and rallied misfits to him, molding them into an army, has been destabilized by sin. And so his discernment is defective if, if operating at all. David believed a lie that was packaged in kindness. That sounds like good preaching, but it's true. It's a fact. It's not trying to be an orator, just telling it like it is. Zeba, this corrupt servant, he he packages his lie in kindness. Look at all the things I have for you, David. He's, he's buying him. I don't like to see people get away with wrong. Who does? Raise your hand because you'll need counseling soon after you do raise your hand. Uh, anyway if you've been a victim of such things you 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 don't need me to tell you anything about it verse 5 now when king david came to bohoram there was a man from the family of the house of saul whose name was shimei the son of gira coming from there he came out cursing continuously as he came no he wasn't in the navy uh <laughs> You know, curse like a sailor. We'll open that up in a moment. But here are back-to-back enemies coming out to meet David, Ziba and Shimai. Uh, both of them are not good for David. This one hates David. He is loaded with bitterness. He's not the only one. And thus we have allies and enemies, friends and foes in this chapter. They're all over this chapter. The character studies are so educational for us instructive as believers. So one comes with kisses in the form of two laden donkeys and the other comes with stones. And that's how it is in life. Shemai's curses were not the vulgar language that we consider profanity today. These were insults hurled at David's character before God and before men. And rather than just with a foul mouth, he was asking God to destroy David. Balak the king asked Balaam, who was then a prophet, to come and curse these Israelites. And what he meant by curse is that they'd be destroyed, that they would not succeed. Uh, the vitriol here, the, the anger, the hatred is, is over the top. He's one of those people... So committed to their view that Scripture needs to move out of the way. And I say that because, Exodus 22, verse 28, you shall not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. That was the law for the Jews. And whether he believed David should be king or not, David was the ruler. Absalom had not. This wasn't over. David was still king. But his feelings of hate mattered more than... uh, what the Bible told him to do. And we come across people like that, that go to church, you're churchgoers, they claim that they're saved, but uh, you put enough pressure on them and scripture takes the back seat and it's what they want. And even though it's sin, it has to be. And usually in the form of, I'm talking in, in lines of, of bitterness and hatred and anger, no love coming out, no attempt. Well, how, what do you do with bitterness? Because we all are going to get a shot. You live long enough, you're going to get your chance to, to fight bitterness We have to do just that. Fight it. If you give in to it, it's going to win. It's going to pin you and humiliate you. And then the next thing you know, it's going to enslave you. And so should someone, if you perceive that someone has done you wrong, uh, which are the ingredients for bitterness, then you have to resist. Resist the devil and he shall flee long enough for you to load up because he's coming back. He never goes and stays away in this life. Verse six and he threw stones at David and all and at all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men, were on his right hand and on his left, on David's right and left. Uh, Now he's careful not to hit anybody with these stones. The enemy loves throwing stones. He will throw the first one, and as many second, third, and ad infinitum as he can throw. You know, he who is without sin, let him cast the first throne. Well, Shemaiah would have grabbed a rock real quick, as did some of those when Jesus made that statement. Verse 7, so Shemaiah said, <clears throat> thus, when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. You see, that's, that's the curse, that's the language. He's, he's calling David, this. Uh, he's, he's, he's slandering him for sure. One ancient Scottish preacher picturesquely called uh, Shemaiah a reptile of the royal house of soil, Saul. Saul. Well, not soil, Saul. A reptile of the royal house of Saul. Uh, the truth is that David withheld his sword from the house of Saul. He, he had in the cave in the field opportunity to kill him. He did not do it. He withheld his sword from Mephibosheth. Rule of the day in the in ancient world was any rival to the throne you eliminated by execution, at least banishing them. Were David bloodthirsty as Shemaiah would, is accusing him, then he would kill Shemaiah right here. So his cursings. Are lies and slander, but there's so much hatred, he doesn't care. He just wants to just stick it to him, and he will just get it out of him. He can't even control himself. Ultimately, Solomon will have him killed. The man is so disliked; his servants ran away from him, and uh, that which led to his death. Verse eight. Then Yahweh has brought upon uh, the. Pardon me. Verse eight. Whenever I have a lot of material here, I I speed read, and I hit these bumps, and it's just, uh, I'll slow it down some. And if I don't get the 17 chapters, it will be God's fault, and uh, you should complain to him. (laughs) Fortunately, the Lord has a sense of humor, or else I'd be a puff of smoke right now. Verse 8. Yahweh has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And Yahweh has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. These are his views and they are wrong. Who is he to talk for God? What about the the prophecies from Samuel, the anointing from the great prophet Samuel on this man? Well, he didn't care about all that. He just wanted what he wanted. He is so into his flesh, his carnal and sinful nature, that truth is irrelevant because it does not suit his agenda. And he wants God to uh, judge David to smite him. Uh, God was dealing with David, that's true, but it was for Uriah, not for, for the house of Saul. Shemaiah is a Benjamite, and Saul was a Benjamite. He never got over God appointing a Judean king. He would turn his hatred on Absalom 2 of Absalom 1. Uh, he's one of, the again, the bitter people of the Bible, verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeru- 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 Zeruiah, okay, It's an easy name to read. Zeruiah said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. I'll put it back on when we go to put him in the ground. Uh, Abishai, the brother of Joab, uh, nephew of David. You know, he's so loyal to David. And uh, I I like Abishai. Uh, I don't like Joab. Joab's the guy that if you see me coming better step aside a lot of men didn't a lot of men died uh that's Joab but Abishai he doesn't come across that way and Joab's probably with him uh but he has contempt for Shemaiah how dare you curse my king uh ever loyal to David at David's lowest uh point Abishai is still with him and uh at his lowest point, incidentally, there's this list of friends that emerge throughout these seven, 16 and 17, chapter 16 and 17. These friends emerge, but so do the enemy. So let's just go over a few of them. The, the bad guys that uh, are the foes, Absalom, self-enthroning Absalom. Even if there wasn't a king's seat to sit on, he enthroned himself. He's so arrogant and full of himself. Ahithophel, That great counselor, he was unforgiving. He was the grandfather of Bathsheba. Ziba, self-serving, and Shemaiah, bitter. And that characterizes uh, these that really had it in for David. Uh, Ziba just wanted to be on the side of the winner and come out a winner at anybody else's expense. Uh, Who knows what he took to Absalom. (laughs) He took a chariot to him, in case you want to ride around town. Uh, the good guys. Well, there's Ittai from Gath, the Philistine, a loyal subject. There's Hushai, the loyal and useful friend of David. He's not just loyal, he was useful. He's going to shine in a moment. Zadok and Eleazar, the priests, not only were they righteous, they were useful too. And then Abishai and Joab. Uh, Joab, trigger happy, so was Abishai, but they were invaluable to David. And that's just uh, the the four-on-four, and there are others in the story, and we're going to meet them pretty soon. There's a a few uh, women that just are critical to David's success that will come to them. But David's friends, they knew all about his failures. And yet, they're taking on his hardship with him. They still, they remain loyal nonetheless. They could have said, you know what, David? You messed up big. We're not forgiving you. They did not do that because God did not do that. Verse 10, but the king said, now he's answering, and when Abishai says, can I just take his head off just once? That's all. That's one time to take his head off, not five. This is David's response, verse 10. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because Yahweh has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? Well, where he says, What have I to do with you, sons of Zuriah? This is an idiom. uh, And David is saying, I I don't share that approach. To us, it sounds very harsh. You know, you say, what do I have to do with you? (laughs) It sounds like, you know, you're just... But that's not how it is uh, in the Hebrew and amongst them. They would have gotten that. But he is saying, I I don't... That's not my approach. It's not what I'm going to do. So David says, so let him curse. Now, he's weary also. He's floating in and out of these uh, moments of trusting and, and and being right, and then making silly decisions as he did with Ziba. And also, he doesn't want to look petty. And this stays with him concerning Shimei for the rest of his life. But he tells his son Solomon, "You can kill him. You won't look petty if you do him. In there'll be no problem in the palace if you kill him. But if I kill him, it's going to cause a little problem. And that's what he." He gives instructions to Solomon, and Solomon um, uh, diligently carries them out as the opportunities presented themselves. Uh, Solomon's going to tell Shemaiah, don't leave Jerusalem. And when the slaves run away from him, because he treated them so harshly, uh, he leaves Jerusalem. So Solomon says, well, I'm going to kill you now, and he he has him killed. Uh, David is saying, when he says, "Let let him curse, because Yahweh has said to him, curse David. Essentially, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never harm me. He's let him just go ahead and do it. But where he says uh, the Lord has said to him, curse David, there's some truth to that, but I don't think that's all the truth. God is working with what he has. He told David, I'm going to deal with you for this. But God didn't have to make anybody's heart you know, bitter or evil to, for, them to, for their true colors to show. All he had to do is just stand back and let, let it run its course, and, and, but within reason, because he wasn't going to let David die. And that is what we're seeing here. Uh, David, in the thick of it, his view is that God is authoring this. And as I mentioned, my view is that uh, some of that is true, but not uh, down to the details. Uh, you, you're not going to be able to charge God with uh, cursing David. That would, goes against what God had said. But the Lord knew that this was going to happen, and he lets it roll. Um, before we judge David too harshly, we have to ask ourselves, if I could get away with a sin that I really wanted to commit, would, I mean, I've got my eye on this truck, this new Chevy Silverado. Mm-hmm. If I could steal it, would I, and get away with it? Yeah, so here David was king. He could have Uriah hit. It could be a government hit on Uriah to cover his crime. Had he been a poor man, he would not have had the the, the means to carry this out. But he wasn't a poor man. So you, we have to ask ourselves, what if I was confronted with a, a situation where I could sin, thinking in my head, to get out of it or to get what I wanted? Would I make? Would I commit the sin? Well, the answer is, is not, I don't think any of us can answer it right up. Maybe some of you can. Yeah, I did it. Uh, but the point is, we, you know, he who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. Who then, he says here in verse 10 at the bottom, who then shall say, what have you, uh, why have you done so? David is surrendered. He's he's in a state of repentance to God. His he's, he's guilt his guilt is still on him. Verse eleven, and David said to Abishai and all his servants, "See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite? How much more now may this Benjamite? Let him alone, and let him curse, for Yahweh has ordered him." Uh, again, if, if my own son is trying to kill me, how much more my adversary? David is just saying it makes sense. And so these the Abishai and Joab and the others are listening to this. Someone's listening to it other than them because it's, it's been recorded. But here's David, always the teacher, without even trying. And he just makes perfect sense. He says, look, my, my own son's trying to kill me. I'm tired of this and you know he's an enemy i understand his anger as long as those rocks don't come too close let them live and he's ever giving someone something to think about in the presence of god without again effortlessly he's he's not trying to be this great sage he just speaks from his heart he does it in the psalms he writes about how he's satisfied with what god has given him in life his lot And when the tribes were given their lot, the message to the New Testament Christian is, what are you doing with the lot God has given you? Um, Me, I like to complain sometimes. Sometimes I want a bigger lot for that Silverado to be parked on. Uh, Anyway, uh, this Benjamite, there's the the link and allegiance to Saul, still in verse 11. For so Yahweh has ordered him, and David is saying, I deserve this ugliness. Uh, God warned me this, there was going to be a sword in my house, and this comes with the uh, the, the package. Uh, he's not looking at the incidentals, the little things that Shemaiah is doing, that Shemaiah is saying. Uh, he's looking at the first causes of things, not the secondary, uh, the aftershocks. He's looking at, well, you know, I, I did this. I, I brought this on myself. <clears throat> and yet he still has to live. And it would be bad for the kingdom if he didn't live. Verse 12, it may be that Yahweh will look on my affliction... And that Yahweh will repay me with good for His cursing this day, for the Shemaiah's cursing on him. He's saying, maybe, maybe if I take, if I endure the chastenings of God, God will find will will, will find favor with me, and lighten my punishment. James writes, "Indeed, we count them blessed who endure." And that is a, a, a teaching from Scripture, verse thirteen. I think about that when I'm enduring. I don't feel very blessed. It's like I just want it to stop. Um, verse 13, And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up the dust. He's a nut. This guy's crazy. So he's just fussing and, and just... You know, you see, I, I think I, in my head, you know, you picture things. I picture him like a... You know, a 49er, one of those gold. <laughs> He's got the hat bent up and his suspenders on. He doesn't look that way. But that fits, you know, a crazy miner who's got cabin fever. Uh, anyway, here is a man. And one of the lessons, I think, that come right out of this about Shemaiah is he loves his hatred. He loved, it's become his buddy. And it's going to happen so quickly. We begin to cherish our faults if we're not careful. Uh, You know, people who just, you can't cheer them up no matter what you say. They got an answer for you after, you know, they've been around a long time like this. They've just, they've come, they've endeared themselves to their situation. Uh, I hope that never the case with us. So, again, he's keeping his distance, throwing these rocks and cursing, because Abishai is looking hard at him. (laughs) And it is a thin line between he and death. Verse 14, now... The king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. So they take five. They're physically wearied is the point, uh, emotionally too, I'm sure. Verse 15. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. Uh, so they think they've got a new king. Uh, they're feeling pretty pretty good about themselves. They've got the army on their side, and they have every reason to believe this is going to be a success. Verse 16. And so it was when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. <laughs> well, of course, what stands out to me, at least, uh, of course, to me, is David's friend. He's down... He's done wrong, he's still his friend, and he's risking his life for David. Uh, remember, in the previous chapter, who should I wanted to go with, David? And David said, you'll be a burden to me, stay here, you, this is what I want you to do. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 34, But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant. Then you may defeat the council of Ahithophel for me. And Hushai says, uh, i aye, aye. And he's off and uh, carrying out his orders. Um, so Absalom, having already won Ahithophel over to his side, who is incredibly intelligent and considered so by everyone, We'll get to that in the end of chapter 16. Why wouldn't Hushai also trade? I mean, how, how can you not love me? I'm Absalom. Look at my long, luxurious hair. And uh, so he's, he's, you know, so self-impressed. It, it makes sense to him. He can't imagine that Hushai would, would be a spy for his father. Um, who would be so dumb, says Absalom. So, verse 17, so Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? So he makes a a brief inquiry. Uh, (laughs) Wish I could have said, is this your loyalty to your dad? Are you kidding me? Who are you to ask me about loyalty? (laughs) But, of course, that would not have worked. Uh, What did Absalom know about loyalty? Uh, He is the villain that thinks he has the right of way over anybody in his way, and victims are incidental. It's sad, but there are, you know, we have, the house of Numbers is loaded with people like this. You know, the prisons, you know, they're they're loaded with people who just, you know, you have no right. Uh, Verse 18, And Hushai said to Absalom, Know but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Now he's being ambiguous, is he not? Because in his head, he's talking about David. Absalom is just naturally applying it to himself. And so in that sense, it's not a lie yet. Uh, This is the intrigue that is taking place in Jerusalem. Verse 19, "...furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his Son, as I have served in your Father's presence? So will I be in your presence." Okay, now he's, you know, he's, this is war. And uh, this is what he is doing to win the war. He, it would be terrible, again, if this man Absalom remains king. The southern kingdom would have been as the northern kingdom, if not worse. The implication is that uh, a counselor should serve the successor to whoever he was previously serving, He asks this rhetorical question. He's not expecting a reply. But evidently, he must feel that he's got to say a little bit more. He doesn't want Absalom yet. And so he's offering, because he's smart enough to know, don't say too much. Um, But uh, verse 20 now. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what we should do. He's sitting on his throne, telling his counselors to counsel him. He's playing king. He doesn't have what it takes to be king. Verse 20, Then Absalom said, Oh, I just read that. Okay, I don't have what it takes to remember what verse I read. Uh, So he's seeking, Now this is important, I I think. He is seeking the advice of a highly intelligent man. But he's not seeking God. God, He's not interested in what God has to say. Because God is not real to him. And what... What defines a Christian? One of the things that defines a Christian is Jesus Christ is very real to us. And that's what the communion table is. He's real. I obey him. I am afraid to not obey him. I try. When I fail, I can say, well, I just couldn't do it or whatever. But I still love the Lord and want to obey all the time. So <clears throat> here it is. He's listening to the wise one, verse 21. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. <clears throat> you want to cement this, Absalom? This is what you need to do. And I, I think that there's no hesitation with this council. He, he wants to stick it to David. Not only does he want him dead, he wants him humiliated for what has happened with uh, you know Bathsheba, his granddaughter, and Uriah. Uh, because you you know how else do you justify this? Uh, you know what he's doing. Why isn't he siding with Hushai? Why can't Ahithophel see that David is the guy that needs to be the king, in spite of his shortcomings? It certainly is not as bad as Absalom. Uh, as Absalom is, but uh, God is not in his thoughts. Who needs God when you're this smart? Who needs God when you go to an Ivy League school and you appoint an atheist as a chaplain? I mean, it's the stupidest thing. That's like appointing somebody who can't swim as lifeguard. And But, but of course, they're not interested in logic. They're interested in sticking it to anybody who dares to believe that there's someone smarter than they are. I'm not bitter in saying these are just facts. I wish I could tell them to their face, but I can't get to that level of society. Um... Uh, anyway, and you know, know what I want to. I mean, how many showers can you take in a day and you know, wash it off of you? Anyway, there uh, no hesitation here with this disgusting advice that he gives out of biz- bitterness. Absalom's going to follow it, not out of lust. And uh, uh, just uh, genuinely too vile people. Verse 22, So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house. And then it continues in the sight of all Israel. Deliberate and disgusting. It was part of what Nathan said would happen in chapter 12. David, he's going to take... when He, he says wives in... Well, at least the New King James, translated as wives. But the Hebrew really is... It's, a, it's women. Uh, it can be translated both ways. There are other words. And, and it gives context. It, it names them as the concubines. So there's no contradiction there. These are not his wives. They were left behind to keep the palace tidy. Yeah, Absalom's a slob, you know, to dad. My boy's a slob. And uh, keep the place tidy. Uh, Unfortunately, there's not much humor in the realities surrounding this, but they were left behind to take care of the palace. Verse 23. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So there it is. He's the smartest man alive. And it would have been... And his advice is very good that he does give. But again, when you witness to someone about Jesus Christ, you do not have to be smarter than them. You have to have the Lord, the Spirit upon you. That's all you need. It it just... It makes the level. The, not only does it, it it does more than level the playing field. It puts you on the high ground. You you can't defeat anointing. Uh, you can resist it and suffer the consequences. And this is why so many are bitter at uh, truth because they can't change it and they hate it. Uh, but anyway, here is a man with who's gifted with intelligence, a great talent. But bitterness was his downfall. And talent, apart from God, is is not useful. It's damning. Of all the gifted people that God used to fashion the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses, not one of them entered the promised land. What does that tell us about talent and skills and gifts? Well, it comes down to, are you trusting in God? Because what use are they if you're not? It's a profound lesson. God is not looking so much for talent. I mean, there are people that can serve in the church. They're just never available. So you can't use them. So what What? what help are they? Uh, it's your availability, not only your ability, that matters. It's, you know, you have to have more than just one thing. Human beings need more than just food and water. We need oxygen. And I, I like to point out we need gravity. Um I went through a a gravity-free zone once, and my hair has never been the same. Anyway, now we get to chapter 17. Uh, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. Verse 2, I will come upon him while he is weary and weak, and make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. That is a great plan. He wants to have a, a commando division of rangers, a, a division of rangers. Today, a 12,000 would be an infantry division with all of its support. Uh, David is, of course, accompanied by his band of warriors, palace guards, and mercenaries. He is the, has the palace officials with him, members of his household, and some other advocates Maybe totaling a couple of thousand people. Uh, he's not, he doesn't have many people with him. And Ahithophel, he is eager to lead the operation. Not only is he saying, this is how we can take David out. He says, I want to oversee it. Look at the language again. Let me choose. I will arise and pursue. I will come upon him. I will strike the king. I will bring back the people. I will, I will, I will contrasting what Hushai is going to say in collective speech, we will come upon him, we will fall on him, we will put uh, uh, pull it into the river. We, we, we versus, that's not French, it's English. Uh, <laughs> so you just contrast what comes out of the mouth. One, one man is, I will because I can, and the other man is, you know. Well, Hushai is doing a whole other thing, we'll get to that in a moment. It's personal for Ahithophel. He wants David dead. And it's a good plan because he doesn't want to harm the people. He just wants the king. A strategic strike. He suggests an immediate surprise attack on David and his forces. And a night surprise attack. Short and sweet. And uh, again, he has the interests of the people in mind, which is noble. Well, is it not a surprise? He represents the type of man or person that... Is an exceptionally intelligent, a statesman, and disinterested in God, all at the same time. And there, are, there have been many people like this in history. Uh, many of them are admirable. You look at them and you, boy, too bad. I mean, I like Mark Twain. I mean, it, I mean, the guy's very clever, but he was a, a heathen and an antichrist. Uh, but I, you still appreciate some of his wit. Uh, you know, he says. Uh, 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 not enough brains to bait a fish hook. I, mean, I know, that's not a big one. I just like that one. It's a Mark Twain. Anyway, back to talents, gifts, education, intelligence, wisdom, and beauty. They don't guarantee communion with God. You can have all of those and not God. You can have none of those and have God. Like Lazarus. And when he died, the angels took him to Abraham's bosom. Verse 3. Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. The plan will work. You just let turn me loose. David's troops will flee when we put the when we all show up. Not likely. Those guys were committed. I mean, as Zetayi said, "In life or death, I'll be with you." But uh, anyway, twelve thousand men against a, two, a few thousand. He has reason to feel. He doesn't want to wait to amass the armies. That would take days, which would give David time to regroup and, and build his numbers too. Verse 3, uh, verse 4. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Yeah, we like that. Ahithophel, you're a smart guy. All the backslapping that was going on there, handing out cigars and, and just giggling away. Verse 5, And Absalom said, Now call Hushai the Archite and let us hear what he has to say too. <laughs> Like, nobody's smarter than, than, uh, than uh, Ahithophel. You see that cape? Uh, anyway, verse 6, Then Hushai came to Absalom, and Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. Well, kid Dumdum, instead of saying, what do you think? He tells him what, what the others, this is a speech and debate now, he tells him what Absalom Uh, was told by Ahithophel. And so that's going to make it really easy for Hushai to counter. Otherwise, I mean, he'd be flying in the dark. And so God, of course, his hand is in all of this. He he now knows that whatever Ahithophel says, he has to tell to do opposite. Because Ahithophel is right. That's his fear. And without divine intervention, Ahithophel will pull it off. Verse 7. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. You know, ever the statement, It will be good on another day, but, you know, it's not good today. And uh, it was a simple mission that Ahithophel had, and it's a simple mission that Hushai has to counter anything Ahithophel says. Now, if you get tired of hearing me say Ahithophel, think of how many times I typed it in my notes, so to, you know, that I had to you just take it out. Like, oh man, I'd be... Um, and, and pronouncing it in your head is difficult, too, if, after 40 times in a row. Verse 8, 4 said, Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field, and your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Uh, this counters Ahithophel saying, well, they're weary. Let me strike them now. He's, saying, yeah, he's, a, he's a bear. So what, what Hushai is doing is he's taking out a verbal paintbrush, a word picture he's painting. Ahithophel just went with the facts, prose, you know, do this, do that, and we've got him. Hushai paints this big story. Well, he's a man of war. He's got these troops. They're going to lay ambushes for you. These guys are sharpening their swords right now. They hate you. And, he did, and, and he's painting this picture. And the audience is going, huh. <laughs> So he, this is fantastic. Second Samuel 16, again. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. Ahithophel knows that, and so does Hushai. Now, Hushai says, how do I get around this advice? Well, the reputation of David as a warrior and those men isn't enough to scare anybody. Verse 9, Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or in some other place. That's the ambush is being set for you, Absalom. And it will be when some of them are overthrown at first that whoever hears it will say there is slaughter amongst the the people who follow Absalom. So Hushai says, David's going to lay ambushes. And once he springs those ambushes, just on some of your guys, it's going to create this rippling effect. And you're going to start running. Your men are going to go and retreat. And it's, you know, and they're, they're like, what? You know, they got the popcorn out in the 3D glasses and they're watching Hosei uh, tell this story to them. Uh, he's going to knock your rangers out through guerrilla warfare. Verse 10, And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and those who are with him are valiant. Yeah, he was mighty before, but he's not so mighty right now. And uh, but, but they're buying it. The tenacity of David. Just the fear of that. And it is true. You know, it could kick in. Verse 11. Therefore I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So now he's got the, he's continuing this word picture. Build this mighty army, sort of like the Soviet Union propaganda machine, you know, and and they're just you know, these pictures of everything glorious. You build this glorious honor uh, army. But one of the greatest things he does here is he gets Absalom on the battlefield. Ahithophel knew we don't want this guy in the battlefield. He get killed. That'll be it. He shields him, but. Hushai says, no, we need to get him where Joab can kill him. (laughs) So, Dan to Bathsheba, get the whole nation behind you, Absalom. You'll be at the head of the army. What young man doesn't want to be a war hero? The ones that have been to war. Uh, The ones that haven't been to war, they have these misguided thoughts about what it is. Anyway, and you go to battle in person, he says. Absalom, and they're just cheering this on. They can see themselves. They can already, they're already at the ticker tape parade on Wall Street. They're already there. They can see themselves marching ingloriously. Okay, not Wall Street. Verse 7. Verse 12. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we will fall on him as dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men... Who are with him? There shall not be left so much as one. Well, they like that too. He knows he's, it would take time to gather this force together to supply it and to move it, and that would give David time. And also, it'd be a crowded battlefield. It's overkill, but you know, Absalom and those guys are loving it. Verse thirteen. I can't wait to see Absalom fail. I just, you know, just dislike him so much. Uh, anyway, verse thirteen. Moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will pull it into the river until there is no, not one small stone found there. This is hyperbole. He is exaggerating it, but they're loving it. And it's meant to be humorous. He's not, he we'll just drag the whole city into the river. No, well, Nobody could do that. Uh, but uh, that's, And they're just loving it. They're yucking it up. He stole the crowd from Ahithophel with this glorious language. <clears throat> and, uh, you, well, you need more than glorious language. You need dummies to, to, <laughs> to get emotionally attached to the plan. Hook, line, sinker, rod, reel, and dock. They swallow the whole thing. Absalom's only accomplishments in life were what organized the murder of his brother, burning the field of Joab, uh, stealing the hearts of loyal subjects to himself. He really, it was out of his league. Um, and Hushai, just he, put some, he, he just put some moves on him. Verse 14, he knows he's got the crowd. It's not like preaching where everybody's silent and looking at you. <laughs> you don't know what they're thinking. Like, oh, man, this is going to end. Or this is wonderful. He knows he's got them. Verse 14, So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of Hi- Ahithophel. And they're saying, like, Who would have thunk? For, the, for Yahweh had proposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that, the, that Yahweh might bring disaster on Absalom. That's not them speaking, end of quote. Uh, that's the commentary added to their statement that Hushai has given... It was the battle of the intellectuals. Uh, the, you know what Hithophel's going to do? <laughs> he's going to kill himself. <laughs> he knows he's done. He's saying, oh, I've gotten on the ship of fools. And it is... Uh, so go back to verse chapter 15, verse 31. This is when David's first fleeing the city. Then someone told David... Saying ah, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, Yahweh, I pray, oh Yahweh, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness, and we just saw it happen. God just answered the prayer. David doesn't know this. He's still weary out there, you know. The thing about when you, you know, march like he's on, on and you get five minutes, you never want to get back up. You just want to go home to your bed. But uh, that's not going to happen for David right now. Anyway, done. The prayer has been answered. Verse 15. Uh, then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. So more characters come in that we've met in the previous chapters. They are the, uh, the, the high priests. Uh, thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. And so he's going to tell the priests who are going to tell, send their sons out to take the message to David. It's a suspense novel at this point. Verse 16. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Hushai is on the ball, man. He is saying, I'm not taking any chances. They said they're going to follow my advice, but they might back up and go with Absalom's plan. And we need to get David, you know, further away. And you just love it that Hushai is just such. How come your moms aren't naming your kids Hushai? Hushai. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, verse at least the pet. Right? Uh, <laughs> what's the fish's name? Hushai. Verse seventeen. Now Jonathan and Himeaz stayed in Enrogel. We all know where that is for they dared not be seen coming into the city, so a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell the king. So when the priests come out with the ark, David says, go back, you know, be spies for me, and they do that. Well, they're smart enough to say, the priests say, we're going to keep our sons, our adult sons, these two, uh, out at Enrogel, which is not even a mile, not even a half a mile, outside of Jerusalem, just across the Kidron Valley. We'll keep them there, and we'll get information to them, and then they'll take it to David. Because if anybody sees them coming in and out of Jerusalem, they're going to know they're spies, and that'll be the end of that. So they've got this little network going. Uh, and so the female servant, you, you know, you might say she's a lowly female servant. That's how that position is viewed from Jerusalem. She has a critical role in this. She could have gone the other direction. She's Trafficking the information. She is an agent. And without her, the information doesn't move. This is, you know, she's not the only one. You know, you can just see this in a movie. And the whole thing is all to the glory of the Lord. None of this would happen without God. Verse 18. With Jesus Christ, who is Yahweh of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ in the New Testament to us. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahurim, who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. Now, this lad is a lookout, more than likely, for Absalom, when he has them probably, not Absalom, but his commanders are going to post men like this. The word for lad does not mean boy, as it does with us. It is used elsewhere, for a, uh, a young man, uh, an armor-bearer of Joab, who's called a, a, a young man, translated young man, but still the same Hebrew word here. And so he's of fighting age. Uh, he is a lookout. And this, is, this would explain why they, they leave so quickly, because if he can arrest them or stop them, he would. He's probably no match. He knows that, so he, he sounds the alarm. Once spotted, they flee right away to Bahurim, where David had stopped off earlier. And they're going to be saved by the shrewdness of yet another woman. So they go there, and uh, they're about three miles from Jerusalem at this point. Bahurim is Shemaiah's territory. It's in Benjamin's area. Um, Paltiel, the man who was given David's wife, Michelle, The last time he sees Michelle when she is forced back to David is here at Bahurim. I know you were hoping I'd get to that. (laughs) Leave that out. Anyway, verse 19. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it. And the thing was not known. So there's a cistern there. Evidently, it's empty or not much in it. And they're going to... She hides them down in this carved out... uh, container for water out of carved out of stone, this cistern. I don't think they knew at the time that there were spiders in this thing. I mean, I'm not going down there. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, they're in commando mode. It's tactical. It's going to be very dark, and they're going to be very quiet, and they've got to wait and hope that they don't get found. Uh, this putting the grain over it, over the lid, is, I'm told by my, in my research, that uh, that was standard uh, when the well was dry, you, you still had to, you know, need space. Anyway, that's where they're hiding, underground. So, verse 20. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimeaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They have gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. So there she is, another heroine on the story. A female friend, uh, the second one we read of, she plays a vital role. We've got Rahab's on the battlefield. Uh, And it is, uh, again, critical to the victory. Anybody can be useful if they want to be. Verse 21, Now it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well, and they were happy about that. It doesn't say that, but we know it. And went and told King David and said, Do you know they had us in the (laughs) cistern? First thing out of their mouth. Uh, They told King David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. Verse 22. So David and all the people who were with him arose, crossed over the Jordan by morning light. Not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. Well, these people are in it with David. They're committed And they're not, uh, you'd think palace life would have made them too soft for the force march, but they're keeping up, verse 23. Now, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. Well, he figured that... uh, certainly not condoning any of this behavior, but he figured he'd rather kill himself than be killed because he knew Absalom was going to lose now. He knew his advice was the right way. And this is part of... This is what Abigail, you know, Abigail... She, uh, she prophesied this over David when David was coming to kill Nabal. And she's reasoning with David for, to save the life of Nabal and the men. And yet a man has risen, she says to David, to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with Yahweh your God and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Of course, the the metaphor she's using is connected to David David killing Goliath. But she was accurate and we're seeing part of it fulfilled right here. So Ahithophel, you know, I used to think he was too full of himself. He was, but the reason why is he knew that David would kill him and David would prevail. Verse 24, then David went to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, and uh, he and all the men with him. So he has his armies, Absalom does, David is in Mahanaim. The angels met Jacob at Mahanaim right after Laban had caught up with him, was going to kill him, but God gave a dream to Laban and said, you better not. And he did not. And he, Laban goes back to Syria. Uh, Jacob is going forward. He's going to reunite with his brother Esau. He doesn't know how that's going to go. Last time he saw Esau, Esau was going to kill him. And uh, he's traveling. He sees the angels. And he's encouraged by this. And then he wrestles with the angel of the Lord not long after. And then he meets with Absalom. So Mahanaim has a significant role in the history of the Jews. Uh... Uh, so David could see the Lord is working when he heard that Ahithophel was no longer a threat. David knew this was the answer to his prayer. Oh Lord, may Hushai defeat the you know the council of of uh, Ahithophel, and now he, and he's gaining support. So he's verse twenty five. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. Don't worry, Joab will kill him later. Uh, this Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Naash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. Well, we all know who those people are, so we don't have to fuss over them. Uh, anyway, this is uh, uh, some of these, are, they're related to David. Amasa is David's nephew. Verse 26. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Uh, this is a region that's loyal, that was loyal to Saul's dynasty. Verse 27. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim that Shobi, the son of Naash from Rabbah of the people of Ammon, make her the son of Amiel from Lodibar and Brazilii, the Gileadite from Roglilium. These people are all exciting characters. They have a history with them, and it's great to see them do this. Shobi shows up because uh, he is the son of Nahash. That started the whole thing with David not going to the battlefield. It was when, you know, David sent messengers to, to grieve for the loss of Naash, and then they, you know, shamed the servants, and David went to war and conquered them. So Shobi is a vassal king of David and yet his allegiance is to David and that speaks to David's favor. That in, uh, once he turns an enemy to a a friend. Um, Makar is the brother of Bathsheba because of his father and with the location. Brasilia is a rich man who pours into David. Uh, these This is just, uh, again, we started out with the enemies uh, and the... Uh, ally, allies and enemies, and here they are, and they, make, they turn the tide. At verse 28, they brought uh, beds and basins, earthen vessels, and wheat, barley, and flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curds, sheep, cheese, herd of the herd, uh, baseball cards with the bad gum uh, for David and the people who were with him to eat, for they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. So they went into action. They didn't say, oh my, what a war. Hope we, you know, Who's going to win? I don't know. They put their lives at risk by siding with David. And it is, uh, David said in Psalm 23, he's getting all of this food, this food coming in that he needs. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, here it is. You know, Pharaoh's daughter would harbor and deliver Moses. Uh, The widow of Zarephath, a Gentile, would harbor the prophet Elijah uh, in Israel. This is uh, God taking care of his people. I enjoyed this. If you haven't, I don't want to know. Uh, But but I enjoyed, uh, this was right down my alley, you know, intrigue. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, what an encouraging story. Here is just a life or death situation, not knowing how it's going to go while, you're living, while they were living through it. And we come along and we see this and it is your Holy Spirit. It says, the Lord Jesus knows about you and uh, it is the gospel of the kingdom, the truth of this kingdom of, of heaven that we are to be loyal to and to endure hardship, through, through and to just uh, uh, live as your servants to your glory. And we thank you for this privilege. We ask that you get us all home safely tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.